I care about statistical scarcity more than positional scarcity. Have I killed fun? Yes. This podcast is going off the rails already. Is, they're, they're pop-ups. They're not infield fly balls. These guys told you look at FIP, not ERA. So wait for Kluber's sale, but pass on Robbie Ray. Hey, real quick, Scott's phoned about the humidor. And pick your milk for breakfast cereal, Mount Rushmore. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Wednesday show, February 28th. We got big injury news on Yuli Gurriel. We've got a draft to talk about, a head-to-head categories mock draft that we did yesterday on CBSSports.com. The best format, and we are going to clear up any Robbie Ray confusion. No Heath today. The old man has a back injury, so he is taking the day off. But young Scott White and younger Chris Towers are here. I'm Adam Azer. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, Adam. <laughs> We're missing that. our uh, storyteller at the top of the show. Yeah, we are. There's which that Chris ca- Towers so energy. The confusion that we're trying to clear up is which character on Friends Robbie Ray would be, right? Uh, yes, exactly. Well, question to start Obviously the show. Obviously Marcel. <laughs> Stop with the Marcel <laughs> stuff. Uh, to start the show, which which Friends song has been in your head for the last two days? The like the original Rembrandt's version or the Fantasy Baseball Today version? Uh... Probably the original, but I kind of did that to myself. Like this, and this happened two years ago with Kokomo. Like you're like, wow, that's a really good song. I need to listen to that song again. Yeah, it's good. And so I listened to just there. I found a video on YouTube. It was just all the Friends openings from all the seasons, and I just listened to that on a loop for like two hours. <laughs> that's very strange. Yeah, I'm a strange, strange dude. So the thing about all of the all of the theme songs that we've had is they're all great. But the songs that they're based on are all bad. <laughs> and I just want that to be clear. Kokomo's bad. Yeah. We Didn't Start the Fire is trash. Good. One of no, the worst songs goodbye. ever. Made. No, false. And uh, I'll Be There for You by the Rembrandts. Look, I, I'm sure they're nice guys. And it's a catchy song. But, uh, you know, not a great. You I mean, said it, it's a catchy song. It's, you know, it, it's fine. Uh, music it's snob fine. over it's here. Just, you know, yeah, total music snob. All right, so anyway. I uh, just want to say one thing. I've always been pumping up CBS Sports. Uh, I love playing on CBS Sports, and you should sign up for a league, cbssports.com slash FBT. But I have a little bit of a beef with our website because yesterday we did the mock draft, and then we got the email recap, and this line existed. While every draft has a winner, it also has a loser, and this year it was Adam Azer. <laughs> <laughs> and I like my team, so I guess yeah. we'll have to I talk think about it's, that. I think that's the best team I've ever drafted, and I had the second-to-worst team. Oh, really? Uh, in that, so that guy clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, don't take yeah, it too definitely, seriously. Definitely got to take those recaps with a grain of salt. They're really just based on like they're projections, fun. right? Rel- where you drafted a guy relative to his projections. Yeah, and, and they're very fun. They are fun. They're, they're fun to read. Yeah. So anyway, we'll talk about that head-to-head categories mock draft, and it's a it's a really different format with different strategies. This will not be the only time we talk about it, uh, head-to-head categories and, and strategies and whatnot. And we'll do live mock drafts on the air, and we will read a lot of emails today at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. If you missed the third base preview yesterday, I gave a note at about one hour and two minutes in of something that I thought was interesting, and it was about Mike Franco changing his batting stance to help him hit uh, low and away pitches, which he was terrible against last year. So that's the guy I'll have my eye on this year. And Scott actually drafted him for me because I had to miss the last like four or five rounds of yesterday's draft. Very late, one of my last picks in a 12-team uh, categories league. So Michael Fran, that's just something that I wish I'd gotten to earlier in the third base preview. I know a lot of people don't listen, don't have time to listen to the entire thing. A uh, quick round of emails, and you know the the theme song that we have now says "Pass on Robbie Ray." But as great as the theme song is, as much as we love Mr. Doc Kratzer, not so sure we're passing on Robbie Ray. That may have been the case pre-Humidor for some of us. Uh, Wes from Arizona has an email at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. I love the new theme song. I assume it was written pre-Humidor news. Robbie Ray will be a beast this year with a revamped outfield of Sousa Pollock and Peralta slash Dyson plus Ahmed at shortstop. 
Marte at second base. Uh, I predict Ray could be a poor man's Chris Sale this year. Just saying. So let's uh, let's give our official thoughts on Robbie Ray. Uh, he's going to have about three times as many walks as Chris Sale. But other than that, I mean, he was a poor man's Chris Sale last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the main thing we were concerned about is low Babbitt for the hard contact he was allowing. Like, didn't he have the highest hard contact rate in baseball? I believe so. Or it was definitely very – it was definitely up there. Uh, but, I mean, now it's going to be contact on damp baseballs, so <laughs> – yeah, no, that should help him a lot. I'm, I was a big fan anyway. I think I was the one who was willing to say he wanted Robbie Ray, even before the humidor. But now it's no contest. I was probably going to avoid him just because I don't know how somebody walks at that many batters, and could possibly be as good as he was last year. But you know, you talked about the hard contact rate. We talk about Babbitt. If you just want to go with some old school stats, here's why I'm not really that afraid of Robbie Ray anymore. He's just so much better at home. Uh, on the road, on the road. Last year, his ERA was 408 at home and 186 on the road. In 2016, which was a bad year, his ERA was 536 at home, 450 on the road. And in 2015, it was 488 at home and 249 on the road. So he's obviously a guy who has suffered because of Chase Field, and that's just probably not going to happen this year. Uh, I still have major concerns. The guy walks almost four batters per nine. It was better in his last 10 starts, but we've seen stretches like that from him, you know, where it's been under three, we, but we don't see it for a full season. I don't think you can ignore that, but uh, you got to be encouraged by the humidor news with Robbie Ray. But still, guys, the walks, they're terrible. What does that, yeah, you know, what does and that he, mean? He's always probably going to have pretty mediocre control. He doesn't work in the strike zone a lot. That's part of why he gets so many swinging strikes is that, He's able to induce swings on bad pitches, but when you don't, that can lead to walks. And I don't think he's going to fix that. I don't think he's going to uh, become a great home run prevention pitcher either, although the the humidor certainly helps in that regard. But he's so good as a strikeout pitcher that there's really high ceiling. I don't think he has like a low to mid twos ERA kind of ceiling. Uh, last year, even with the humidor, I think it's probably about the best you're going to get from him. But there's a lot to like about him. I think he's definitely in the conversation for number one pitcher. Like num- starting pitcher. SP1. SP1, not, not number one starting pitcher. Right. You know Top what. 12. You, you yeah. drafted him as your first starting pitcher. In- I have him as my number one starting pitcher in the dynasty league that we're doing. Uh, I'm I'm pretty heavily invested That's in That's a 24-team league. Yeah. But yesterday we did a 12-team draft and 12-team head-to-head categories draft, and you got him as your number one And there. I feel confident in it. Yeah. Okay, that's Robbie Ray. I don't know. I mean, I will just say that I don't expect him to have a good whip. I know he did last year, but that was with a crazy low BABIP. I don't expect mm-hmm. Robbie Ray to be good at whip. That's fair. Yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind if you're doing a categories league. You might want to pair him with, like, Dallas Keuchel. Like, Robbie Ray, Dallas Keuchel is a great start because you've got elite strikeouts and not great at strikeouts. You've got elite whip and not great at whip, and you both you should get good ERA. So that's okay. Uh, next email is from Ewan from a city west of Kansas City and south of Cheyenne. West of Kansas City, south of Cheyenne. So he's in Kansas? That's no freaking idea. Isn't Cheyenne in Wyoming? Yeah. So that's like oh, south of Cheyenne. That's like west of Kansas the, City. Half the country. South of Cheyenne. <laughs> Denver? Denver, maybe. Okay, Salt yeah. Lake City? Uh, okay. Hey, Sean, Red, Jamie, and Chloe. No idea. Yeah, me either. Uh, can you name a few players that received the biggest upgrade or downgrade in OBP leagues? Maybe one at each position if you have time. Oh, sure. I'm actually doing an all head-to-head and all Roto team, an article uh, kind of laying out the most representative players in those particular formats. And so, you know, a a lot of times the all head-to-head player, and it's head-to-head points that I'm referring to, uh, is is that because he gets on base a lot and his walks aren't rewarded in Roto. So the most obvious one is Carlos Santana. Um, He would be the main guy. Isn't the... Aren't aren't guys like Aaron Judge, Joey Gallo, Miguel Sano, guys who walk a lot, and but also don't strike hit, strike out, out a lot? I mean, that's not 
That's Santana base, doesn't strike out a lot, yeah. but yeah, usually a lot of strikeouts lead to yeah, low batting Yeah, that's a difference between an OBP league versus a head-to-head league. Yeah. OBP leagues, Joey Gallo is, you know, we kind of all agreed he's maybe being overdrafted yesterday. And mm. uh, in, in OBP leagues, I think he might be, you know, a first four-round pick. I, I think Aaron Judge is a first-round pick in OBP leagues, at least borderline. Top 15 for sure. Because yeah. he, he walks so much. Right now, I could see that. I I think, uh, you know, you're you're kind of getting lower in the catcher rankings now since it looks like he's not going to be the primary option. But Austin Barnes gets a lot of value in this format. Um, Cesar Hernandez, I mean, he's good in batting average too. Uh, yeah, that's Anthony wh- Rendon, who we talked about on third base preview yesterday. I mean, he's he's good at batting average, but he's exceptional mm-hmm. if you're talking about on base percentage. How about Tommy Pham? Do you buy that? He had a 4.11 OBP last year. 306 batting average. Yeah, no, I buy he gets on base, and I buy he, he'll probably hit for a pretty good average, too. So, sure, him. Uh, Anthony someone, Rizzo, Reese Hoskins. Like guys who lose value, probably D. Gordon loses a little value, although, yeah. you know, he's still, the stolen bases are still super valuable. Starling Marte loses a lot of value. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karis Davis. Yeah. I don't know if people are still excited at all about Adam Jones, but he'll get drafted, but he he doesn't walk. Yeah, his ADP is still like 124th. Evan Gaddis doesn't walk. Yeah, Rudnett Odor uh, doesn't walk at yeah, all. Yeah, much better in batting average, even despite the fact that he hit like 11 last year. And then like Joey Votto in an OBP league, is he a top five pick? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo and Paul Goldschmidt are all really good on base guys too. Votto's better at them at but that Votto, particular thing. But Votto is to on-base percentage what Jose Altuve is to batting average. Like, this guy has led – he has led the National League in on-base percentage six – seven out of the last nine years. Uh, no, six out of the last eight years. He's led the majors three of those years. The one year he didn't lead the NL and the majors was that crazy Joe, uh, Bryce Harper season. He still had a 459 on-base percentage. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, that'll do it for that. Thank you for the email, Ewan. And Sean, Red, Jamie, and Chloe, I are Olympic snowboarders. USA, Pat Woo! in Philadelphia. Pat in Philadelphia. Dear D, Billy, Trey, and Quit. The Beatles. Steals, guys. When talking about the value of the elite steel specialists in Roto, I have a point against drafting them that I have not heard anyone mention yet. If you spend an earlyish pick on one of these guys, then you're likely to, to neglect or at least not emphasize stolen bases for the rest of your draft. And an injury to your one guy and your only big stolen base guy can sink you in the category and likely leave you without a backup plan since you need to replace such a big chunk of your team's stolen base percentage. And big steal guys are rarely available on the waiver wire. Building up steals through a combination of 10 to 20 stolen base guys other places in your lineup seems like a safer way to construct your roster. Yeah, and maybe I haven't explained that as well this year as I have in other years, but but yeah, that's that's kind of what I mean when I say you're backing yourself into a corner, uh, because you pretty much like you invest in early round pick in D Gordon and Billy Hamilton, you you really can't focus on steals much, at least in the early rounds, because you have to make up for their deficiencies, and so you're you're narrowing your um, narrowing your options in the draft, and you're exposing you're you're making yourself vulnerable to bad luck, like he said. Counterpoint. Y'all building, <laughs> building up steals through a combination of 10 to 20 stolen base guys. That's a pretty wide margin. And that's the one thing that you notice is when D Gordon's stolen bases fluctuate, they fluctuate from 50 to 60. When a 10 stolen base guys fluctuate, it goes from 5 to 15. Now 15's good, but that's you're leaving yourself open to a very slim margin either way. Stolen bases are hard to find. Right. That's why Billy Hamilton is so valid. But it, you, like, you can afford to, like, you're expecting 20 steals from a couple guys. They only give you 10. Like, you can make up for that easier than you can a season-ending injury to D. Gordon. Or, or really, what happened? How many steals did D. Gordon have two years ago? He, right. Uh, if he misses half the season, but that's true of any third-round pick. Like, your team's going to, your team's going to suffer if you lose your third-round pick. For half the season. But if you're putting like all if, your eggs in one bat, like, you have home runs in other places. Isn't this the same argument against drafting Clayton Kershaw? 
Um, if you that you're investing in a volatile volatile asset. If you completely neglect, if you like, basically neglect starting pitcher for the next five or six rounds, then yes, that's possible, uh, and that's something to keep in mind. But you're right. Like if I draft D Gordon in round three, I am much less likely to take steals. You know, unless it's just I like the player. Regardless of sure. the steals, well, and and I think I think the reason somebody like Heath, for instance, is was selling out so hard for steals is because it's the one category, apart from saves, I guess, it's the one category where you can get legitimately blocked out. Like you can wind up with close to zero steals if you're if you're not trying to get steals, just because there's that much of a scarcity in the game today. And that's not true of any other category. Yeah, if you lose Clayton Kershaw, it's going to be much harder to compete in ERA and WHIP because you were probably um, expecting him to carry you in those categories. But it's at least possible. All right, so let's give an example. Yesterday we were doing the head-to-head categories draft. Billy Hamilton's value in a head-to-head categories league is very, very interesting because we only have three outfield spots. We don't have that many hitter spots, whereas our standard roto leagues have two catchers, corner infield, middle, middle infield, five outfielders. This doesn't have that. So the impact of Billy Hamilton, it's greater with the steals, but it also is greater with all the negative things he does, which is like basically everything else. So he went pretty late. I almost got him at 84th overall. Chris took Billy Hamilton 80th overall. So because I didn't get D. Gordon, because I didn't get Billy Hamilton, my steals, guys, I have Christian Yelich, Ronald Acuna, and Brett Gardner. Like, I suck at steals. Yeah, um, that's really bad, especially because Ronald Acuna, like we think he'll get called up pretty quickly. Yeah, so no it's tough. It, it, it's tough. It was, it, I just couldn't really find it. I couldn't really find that many guys who I expected to potentially get twenty steals. I wanted to get Nando Dor. He he went just ahead of me. He could get me fifteen steals. It, you want to easier said than done. You want to target in that situation to line up the shields in the later rounds. There's, or, but I can't, I can't I, I justify him. Like with a lineup that small, I don't know how you can justify starting to line up. Yeah, shields. exactly. Like, well, you're only three outfielders in a 12 team league. I mean, like, that, that's, plus that, a utility. that's not worth it for that one category. That's a pretty good argument. Like it's really hard to find steals in a three, three outfielders league. But I'm saying I don't want, if, if you're saying I only have uh, nine hitter spots to play with, which is, Standard head-to-head categories league, that's what it is. We usually talk in roto terms where it's 16 or uh, 14. 14. 14 uh, hitter spots to fill versus nine. Yeah, you're telling me you only, I only have nine, and I'm going to waste one of those nine spots on somebody who gives me no power, as much power as needed to compete in those categories in this environment? Like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. I'd rather I'd rather risk losing steals every week, which, by the way, I won't. But I'd rather risk it than have to than leave myself so vulnerable in those two other categories. Yeah, Scott did better with steals. He has uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, Tommy Pham, and Will Myers in the outfield and, and at utility, and Chris Taylor, and Chris too. Taylor at second base. Yeah. So you know, I I just missed. I was one pick away from getting Yoan Moncada. That could have changed everything. But I and I was four picks away from getting Billy Hamilton. That's how it goes. If those guys go off the board. Like, there's just, there's not obvious fallback options. So maybe I should have reached for Yoan Moncada. I don't know. We can talk about that a little bit later. Here's, here's I our. I do. Yeah, go ahead. I do want to point out one thing. There was a discussion I saw on Twitter yesterday. I think it was Michael Safino from Yahoo who was talking about Trey Turner's spot in the, the Nationals batting order. Uh, Dave Martinez announced that he will be batting second behind Adam Eaton and in front of Bryce Harper. Now, he still said, I want Trey Turner to be aggressive. But is there a concern that maybe he's just a 40-steal guy? That's what I brought up on the shortstop preview, right? And that's I, I think that's a bigger concern for him, uh, not just because of who he's going to be hitting in front of, but it's a bigger concern for him than the other elite steal guys, Gordon and Hamilton, because he's actually a really good hitter. And uh, you know, if he does improve the batting average the way I believe he can, if he continues to grow as a power hitter, like eventually those guys just stop running and we don't have a lot of forewarning for it always. Yeah, but I'm if not he steals, saying if I'm Trey not Turner, saying he's going to just be a 20 steal guy this year, but is he going to be the 50 to 70 steal guy people are drafting him to be? I'm not totally sure of that. If Trey Turner steals 40 bases, he's still going to be probably top 3 or 4 in the league. Yeah, and I mean it, he'll it, still be very valuable. Right, yeah. Okay, uh final email and then we'll do some news and notes and we'll read a, more emails later in the show. This is Chris from the home of the Reds. 
Dear Laz, Lazio, or I think it's supposed to be Lazlo, I don't know. John, Marcus, and Miss Howard. I had to look this up. Ah, uh, yes, this is, um, this is Paddington. You sure? Cause I'm seeing the alienist. No, it's, yeah, it's the alienist. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I usually find Bluffing. myself drafting Tanner Roark and Aaron Sanchez in rounds 20 through 22. Do you like Roark and Sanchez there? Who are some other late round starting pitchers I should be looking at? I think both of those guys are are fine values. We saw what Aaron Sanchez's best case scenario season looks like, and it's pretty good. Tanner Roark doesn't have that much upside, but he's uh, you know, should eat some innings and post decent uh, rate stats. Scott wrote on the website. He writes some spring training stuff and uh, noted that Tanner Roark's strikeout rate went way up late in the heat in the year. It's not enough to just like buy into that he's going to be a strikeout pitcher, but it's something. It's better than nothing. And I looked at who he yeah. faced in those games, and he faced he faced the Brewers, who struck out the most in baseball, but he also struck out a ton of Astros. They had the fewest strikeouts. Uh, the Braves didn't strike out much. The Mets didn't strike out much. So it wasn't just – like we saw that with Stroman, I believe, uh, two seasons ago. He had these big strikeout numbers, or bigger, late in the year. He faced the Astros twice when they were, like, big strikeout guys. And other than that, you know, it really inflated his numbers. Not the case with Roark late last season. So maybe maybe there's something there. Well, yeah, the thing about Roark, and I'm not, like, a huge Roark guy. If I get him at this point, yeah, fine. I, I'm pretty happy with that. But he's not somebody I'm actively targeting. I mean, two of the last four years, he's had a sub-3 ERA with a lot of innings for a very good team. And, you know, peripherally... There's not a lot of support for that kind of production, but he's done it twice over, you know. And last year he had grip issues. He also apparently had delivery issues that he's been talking about this spring. Uh, uh, on on the windup, he would get a little too overanimated and rock back too much and whatever. Apparently it was compromising his command. Command's a big deal for him, obviously, since he doesn't have that um, high-powered stuff that we see from most pitchers these days. So, like, you could you could certainly make the case that two years ago is more legitimate Roark than last year. And if that's the case, you're maybe getting a top 30 starting pitcher. Okay. Uh, any other? Just just give me names. Late round pitchers you're looking to take. Sean Manaya, Josh Hader, Luis Gahara, Jamison Tyone, Tyler Glasnow. Okay. That works yeah. for me. Those are good. Um, does Mike Clevenger count as late? He goes a lot later than I feel like he should. Yeah, he counts. Uh, what about Blake Snell? No, I don't think not late so. enough. Uh, okay, not, not Garrett Richards. Drafts. Garrett Sean, Richards, that's a late one. Sean Newcomb, Jimothy Nelson. <laughs> yeah, Jim Nelson. I, I like investing in Jim Nelson. Jim Nelson. Just stick him in that Jimmy Nelson. Joe Musgrove as a Sparp. Oh, speaking of Sparps, I have a list of pitchers who are going to uh, try to make the rotation and will have RP eligibility if they do. Uh, we can talk about that. In just a little bit. Right now we Anthony have to talk. Anthony the desk funny. Thank you, guys. Right now we have to talk about SeatGeek. The best way to get tickets, the smartest way, the most efficient way, the most cost-effective way to get tickets, and really the only way that I go to games now or concerts or comedy or whatever, I always use my SeatGeek app. I've got it on my phone. I'll be going to a bunch of Yankees games. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to type in New York Yankees. I'm going to select the event, and then SeatGeek does its work, searches multiple ticket sites, brings in the results, compares the prices, and finds the best values and gives every seat a grade based on value so you can immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And by the way, if you want to save a little cash, buy a few hot dogs with the extra 20 bucks you'll be saving, uh, use the promo code FANTASY. That'll get you 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. The promo code is FANTASY. So legitimately, I really do use SeatGeek all the time. And I've told so many people about it, and now they use SeatGeek. My brother-in-law and my sister went to a Florida Panthers game last night, and I uh, hope they won. And uh, they use SeatGeek. That's just that's just what they do now. It's just the cheapest way, the best way to go to games. I strongly recommend it. And you want to save twenty bucks, no matter what you're doing, you can do that with the promo code Fantasy. Again, download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code Fantasy for twenty bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. News and notes. MLB teams will be required to store baseballs in an air-conditioned room. We talked about this a little bit with our shortstop preview. Okay. I, I just believe that 
while I don't know what the effects of this will be, I believe that baseball wants to reduce the amount of home runs that were hit last year. So, what do you guys think about this whole thing? Let's, let's discuss. I, I don't think that's going to accomplish it. And I don't know that that is what they're after with this move. I think they're just trying to justify allowing the Diamondbacks to do it. Um, when they already just, they justified it for Colorado, and even that was kind of like, eh, why did they get to do that? Um, but now it's even harder to justify for the Diamondbacks since the offense has, wasn't as extreme as it was in the early days of Coors Field. So they want baseballs stored in an, um, equitable environment across baseball. If the air conditioning doesn't accomplish it, they're going to have everyone, they're looking into everybody using a humidor next year. But the thing is, you know, most environments that baseball games are played in, they aren't the dry environments you see in Colorado and Arizona. They're, um, you know, temperate environments. They're ones where the 50% humidity is often, you know, it's often higher than that where the, when the game is actually being played. So what the humidor or air con, the air conditioned room will do in this case is, is actually dry out the baseballs and, you know, it's it's really about the contrast of what the what the humidity of the baseball is versus the air that the baseball is traveling through. It, there's a good chance in places like Atlanta, Miami, wherever, um, it's going to actually improve offense. I I guess I just I know they want fewer homers. He's talking is, about that, which is stupid. MLB is thinks MLB yes. thinks air conditioned rooms will fix the juice ball. That is a headline I'm reading right now. Okay. On, on okay. So well, apparently that is an intention. MLB doesn't think there's a juiced ball. Well, no. Yes, they do. They may not say it publicly, <laughs> but everybody knows there's a juice ball. I, I just i I've said it before. I think it's stupid. I think it will have a bad effect on the game. I think it will make the game much less interesting, given the era that we live in. I think the game. Yeah, is I, pretty I don't. I don't think that's true. I think. Like, I think. I think action, like home runs, aren't action. And there is no action in baseball right now. I know. There's exactly. none. This, exactly. This but that, to, that's the point. This is a step toward regaining action. It can't be the only it's thing because they need step. to figure out how to reduce strikeouts, it's, too. But the, you, how are you going to reduce strikeouts? Well, they've talked about changing the, the strike zone. That no, that won't necessarily reduce strikeouts. That might change the distribution of strikeouts. But I mean, I don't, I don't know how, but I, I agree runs. it's a good idea to... Take to away, counteract that effect. Yeah, take away home runs from baseball right now, and you're going to lose a lot of offense. And it's not just going to be a small effect. We've seen runs per game go up like .7 runs, I think. Yeah, okay. It, it was really well, low. We right. were in like well, a on. mini dead ball era before the last couple of years. Right, and we, we but, don't want but, that. But, but they're not changing. Okay, so... I mentioned the headline of the Yahoo story, and then later on in the story. But at the same time, controlling the temperature of the balls won't fix one of the issues that pitchers complained about last season, lowered seams. And while it might help the issue of tighter winding, another issue that pitchers mentioned, it doesn't really address why pitchers were complaining about any of this in the first place. Those complaints are about actual physical differences in the ball, differences which have been cataloged, researched, and tested, blah, blah, blah. So it's not going to change the seams of the ball, which, you know, pitchers didn't like. And uh, I don't know what the effect is going to be, but I do think that they want to reduce the home runs. I, I think that might be counteracted by the limit on mound visits, which I anticipate will help offense, uh, for, especially from a sign-stealing perspective. It's all speculative, but I know they want to get away from what they had last year. And I, and I personally, I don't blame them, but without our personal feelings aside, like I do worry about a guy like Jose Ramirez, who had a huge increase in home runs. I worry about a guy like Didi Gregorius. The only thing he does is hit home runs. I, if they were actually talking about changing the ball, then I think it'd be worth worrying about those guys. But storing them in an air-conditioned room, Especially I don't think is going to do that. We don't know, like, we don't know what the control is. Like, we don't know how teams were store specific teams were storing them. But it just this doesn't seem like something worth spending a lot of time worrying about, just because we. There's so much that we don't know here. Okay, then we'll move on. Marcus Stroman has inflammation in his throwing shoulder. Jacob DeGrom may not be ready for opening day, which is early. He could still be ready, basically, early in the season. Um, Aaron Judge, he's got uh, lower back stiffness, Jacob DeGrom. Aaron Judge says his shoulder won't be 100% until opening day. 
and Yoenna Cespedes has shoulder soreness. Stroman, DeGrom, Judge, and Cespedes, three of them dealing with shoulder issues. Judge has had the surgery um, and he's, that he's still sort of recovering from. They're taking it slowly. Do any of these injuries move Stroman, DeGrom, Judge, or Cespedes down in your rankings? Um, Stroman fell. Maybe Stroman. In that draft we did yesterday, he went 147th. Yeah, because there's a difference, I mean, I think, between inflammation and, you know, soreness. Like, I feel like, I feel like we get a lot of these reports in spring training and 90 to 95% of them are meaningless. Maybe that's even underestimating it. Mm -hmm. So, it's better not to worry about it, I think, unless, it is, Stroman does have a lower margin for error than yeah. these guys. It is interesting that, you know, Aaron Judge is a good example of the the inconsistency in how we treat off-season surgeries. Sometimes it's, this guy had off-season surgery, let's watch out. And then sometimes it's, this guy had off-season surgery, it's going to be fine, it's going to fix. And it's just like, we don't know. This shoulder could be an issue for him. Well, it was an issue in the second half of the season. and, and Right, it wasn't and so... Depending on whether we like Aaron Judge or we don't, we're either going to say it's fixed it, he's going to be fine, he's going to be the guy he was in the first half last season. But there's there's risk here. Yeah, there is. Okay, and then uh, Texas is going to sign Tim Lincecum. I don't think anybody's rushing. Would you pick him up in an AL-only league, Lincecum? No, although there was some buzz on social media that maybe he could emerge as a closer candidate. I think I think going from hey, this guy's actually worth a $1 million major league deal to, and he could close for us, is a pretty big leap to make. <laughs> and I feel like the Rangers have their share of decent closer candidates also, already, so I'm not counting on anything there. Like okay. we, we saw him pitch two years ago. It's not like he's been away from baseball for a long time. We, we know what this guy looked like two years ago, and it was he gave up more than a run per inning. Yeah, he looks like the kid from Dazed and Confused. And Yuli Gurriel, this is the big news. Yuli Gurriel had surgery for a broken hand, broken hamate bone. He is out six to nine weeks. Is Yuli Gurriel worth drafting? Yeah. I mean, certainly in categories leagues with the batting average help he presents late in a draft. I mean, you don't, you don't see a lot of that at that stage of the draft. So if you have a bench, if you have DL spots, you can stash him in. I, I think it's worth doing. No. I just these inj- these injuries tend to have long term trailing effects after the surgery. Um, you know, Ian Desmond was never really right last year after having hand surgery. Uh, the fact that he's probably going to miss the start of the season, the fact that the Astros are one of the teams that does have a ton of contingency options. I he was already going late enough that. In a in a standard mixed league, I I think you can probably avoid him, which is, I mean, the stinks. thing is, I he love is you, going. I love Yuli. Like, what's the like? Let's say worst case scenario, he's Ian Desmond from a year ago, without steals. That's pretty uh, that, okay. The, but my point is, what have you lost? The chance to draft Yonder Alonso with your late oh, okay. round flyer. <laughs> But that's that's Too a bad. guy that's a guy with 30 35 homer potential what? in a good lineup. Yonder Alonso has 35 homer potential. When sure. did that happen? He hit 28 last year. That's not a big jump. He hit 28 while not that's playing a every big day. jump. Bro. And he's not going to be playing Yonder, every day again. Yonder Alonso like was good for That's one what, that's half one a guy I picked off the top of my okay, head, but Yonderell is he's only really a batting average help. Like he RBI oh, no, as he's, well. He's gonna, but he was a 20 homer guy last year. Didn't we just <laughs> All right. no, but you, I mean, you call him a sleeper, Chris, on the first base preview, and he is late. He's one of the few guys mm-hmm. you can get late that actually help in batting average. So I don't see that. Before this injury. That, I, that doesn't I just, change. Unless yeah, you just don't think he's going to be good. If you want to take a late-round flyer on him, but there are enough guys in the late rounds that I'm not going to – I don't really see the need to take a flyer on a guy who's coming into the season hurt with it, an it would, injury that tends to sap hitting ability. Like a points league, there's no way. But if it is a roto league where it's like I'm, you're getting to the end of the draft and you're like I'm really worried about my batting average, it seems right. this could be a blessing. Put like I don't, deal. I don't, I don't think it's a crazy thing to do. And now then, what is interesting is oh, what yeah. it means for the rest of right. That's what I was going to say. Astros. So this keeps Marwin Gonzalez in the lineup. You tell me what what happens Presumably. now. 
Presumably. That that would be my, my my initial thought was minor league leader A.J. Reed, who we thought was this top prospect two years ago. Maybe he gets a chance to uh, deliver for the Astros early in the year. But more likely, it's probably going to be Marwin Gonzalez has his position for the start of the season, uh, which is good news for him. It's good news for Evan Gaddis. It's good news for Derek Fisher if he is the one who wins the left field job. Has Josh Reddick ever played first base? Not that I can recall. Uh, all right, good. Well, I think yeah, I think it is good news for for those guys. For he, he's played one inning, he's got <laughs> it. Who knows? <laughs> but why wouldn't they just use Marwin there? That's a lot more. At least most of the time, they'd probably still want him to move around some. Okay, cool. So six to nine week injury for Yuli Gurriel, broken hand. Miguel Sano will make a spring debut today. Jonathan Scope has bursitis in his elbow. It is not supposed to be serious. Detroit signed Francisco Liriano to a one-year, $4 million deal. He is already hurt. The Mets first baseman, Dominic Smith, is having a bad spring. He was late for something, and then he got benched, and now he's a strained quad. White Sox third base prospect, Jake Berger, will miss the season with a torn Achilles. Jake Berger was the first-round pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jake Berger, doesn't that name sound like something like some jock would have done to some nerd in high school? Like, I'm giving you a Jake Berger. Dude, did somebody give you no. a Jake Burger, Scott? So, I, like, doesn't isn't that what it sounds like? No, I'm, I don't I'm think alone so. here. I, yeah, I think you're alone. Okay. You're, you're, Emilio okay, Estevez in the Breakfast Club gave what's his name a, a Jake yeah, Burger. Is exactly. that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, Felix Hernandez was hit by a comebacker on the arm, but he is fine. In other news, nobody wants to draft Felix Hernandez. Do you guys? In the, in that late round pitching group, yeah. I mean, he he doesn't have a ton of upside, but. He's not that far removed from being useful. Like, his 2016 wasn't great, but he was useful. I think he's toast. 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 Done. Felix Hernandez. Um, yeah? What? No, Speaking I, of Emilio Estevez? Oh, no, I said Felix Hernandez. Remember that part from Mission Impossible where he's like, toast? I so, have like, never sound seen check? that movie. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's, like, I'm, I'm on an island here today. Um, did you miss... This bit of news that just broke within the last few minutes. I'm sure I did. Royals have a Royals have a new first baseman. Uh huh. And that first baseman's name is Lucas Duda. Yeah. What, well, <laughs> give me your instant fantasy reaction, Lucas Duda. Meh. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not interested. But AL only material. What is it? Who's going to play in the outfield for them? Uh, it's probably going to be Whit Merrifield, right? And uh, Alex Gordon. Uh, I think Solaire's going to be the, the primary that's DH. That's the one. Solaire, like, I know he hasn't been great in the majors, but I was looking up his double A AA and triple A numbers, and that dude has still destroyed the upper minors, including yeah. last year. No, he was, uh, he was, he and Chris Bryant were basically neck and neck coming up. Yep. Um, I wrote, I'm going to have a piece, uh, the latest spring. Observations piece is going to include him. He hit two home runs yesterday and lost 20 pounds in the offseason, changed his batting stance, moved the hands in to get the bat through the zone quicker. And, yeah, looking at that minor league track record, looking at what he was regarded to be coming out of Cuba, there's a chance this is the year Jorge Soler breaks out. Only he was 26. considered one of the best Cuban prospects to come out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Jorge Soler, yeah, he is the DH. It looks like Chess, uh, Paolo Orlando could be, and Billy Burns. Jorge Bonifacio will get some. Looks yeah, that's there. the one I was thinking of. Yeah, I, I, I would guess more often than not, it's Gordon Merrifield. I think Bonifacio with Soler at DH. Hunter Dozier is a thing. Uh, all right, I'm, I honestly like last week, uh, last Wednesday when I wasn't here, I just listened to the show last night. Um, the podcast you guys did without Sorry. me, and there was way too much Carlos Gomez talk. So I am just cutting off this Royals outfield talk about Emilio. Like I am not going. Wait, down hold the, on. The Carlos Gomez road again. No way. And CJ Crone. Oh my God! It was the CJ Crone show. No way. Not happening. Well, I love CJ Crone. I thought the pacing was a bit off too, Adam. First round pick. 
first round picks. <laughs> this is why we need you, Adam. This is why you're pivotal to the podcast. Except I was we hoping we could make do without you, but we could never survive without you. I well, you could you could definitely survive without me. I, I was nope. hoping to be at the 25 minute mark instead of the 40 minute mark right now. So here uh, we go. Yeah. Here are some relief pitchers who are trying to become starting pitchers. For Texas, Matt Bush and Mike Miner. For Miami, Jarlin Garcia. For the Yankees, Chad Green. That's probably an emergency plan. For the Dodgers, Ross Stripling. For the Padres, Brian Mitchell. Matt Bush, Mike Miner, Jarlin Garcia, Chad Green, Ross Stripling, and Brian Mitchell. We know Mike Miner's one of the top SPARP options. And he actually, I think, what was encouraging as a reliever yesterday, or last year, yesterday. He had a 255 ERA, 22 walks, 88 strikeouts, 1.02 whip in 77 and two-thirds. So great numbers for Miner. He threw a fastball, a changeup, a slider, and a curve. Mostly fastball slider, but still, four-pitch arsenal from a reliever who used to be a starter. Mm -hmm. That is good. Is there anyone else on the list uh... that that – sorry, Chris. Is there anyone else on the list that interests you? Matt Bush, Jarlin Garcia for the Marlins, Chad Green for the Yankees. Again, not supposed to make the rotation. Ross Stripling for the Dodgers, probably the same situation. Brian Mitchell for did you the say, Padres. Did you already point out Miner is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Miner's the top spark, but he's definitely interesting. Yeah, he's the only. I mean, Matt Bush is interesting in like, yeah. a, can he go from being a third baseman to a reliever to a starter? Kind I, of I think he has the best chance. I, I think he's the best combination of upside and chance be behind Miner. But he's of, AL only. Well. We'll see. For, I mean, head-to-head points. In draft. If he, if he for sure did, does win the spot. The thing, though, about both him and Miner and every other Rangers pitcher is they are, um, you know, we talked about the Angels going six-man because to accommodate Otani. The Rangers are also planning to go six-man this year, hmm. like just from the get-go. So that would limit the two-start possibilities for all of those pitchers. Hey, you see Matt Bush, he had a 378 ERA last year. Uh, he had a 298 ERA. In his first 50 appearances, he had a terrible month of September. His last seven appearances, Bush had a 13.50 ERA. So it was 2.98 for most of the year. Bad month. Goes up to 3.78. Make of that what you will. In 2016, he was pretty awesome. 2.48 ERA, .94 whip. But a lot of guys can do it in the bullpen, can't do it in the rotation. So let's talk about the head-to-head categories draft. I would like to save some time for emails, but this is probably more interesting for people. Head-to-head categories mock draft. It is a different type of format. Now... As we mentioned, it was catcher, first base, second base, third base, shortstop, three outfielders, utility, plus five starting pitcher spots and two relief spots. Now, there are a lot of head-to-head categories leagues that give you a lot more just like pitcher options, and guys and, and fantasy owners will load up on relief pitchers. Nobody did that in this draft because you have to start five starting pitchers, so keep that in mind. Secondly, I know on Yahoo!, a standard head-to-head categories league does have more hitters, maybe two or three more starting hitters. Personally, if I'm the if I have the CBS Commissioner product, CBSSports.com/fbt, I would like to add a couple of hitter spots to this three outfielders. My preference is roto positioning in a head-to-head. No, because two catcher leagues are the dumbest thing on earth. I don't know why they exist. <laughs> Let's have two of I the mean, crappiest hitters in the, in the game on our roster. Sure. You can take one of the catchers out. That's maybe fine. maybe like a corner infielder, a middle infielder, a fourth outfielder, and get rid of the utility spot. Does that seem like a sure? And you're getting you're netting two hitters there. Sure, but I think the point is you should have some more roster spots in head-to-head categories leagues, but you don't have to. Uh, but you know, it just it does make every like Scott said, you don't want to have too many weaknesses because they are magnified. Scott said that in his yeah. in his write-up of the uh, draft that you can read on the website. Right. Uh, and if you eliminated U- DH, the utility spot, you would have no place to put the DH only guys. So I guess you can't do that. Hmm. Right. It's too bad. A- add an outfielder and a, and a, and like two and another utility. Just add two more hitters or something Just like 15 that. Fifteen utility spots. <laughs> add an infielder and an outfielder. There you go. So uh, anyway, let's talk about how we went about it. I want to know who your first four picks were. How did you structure your team? Your first four picks. Oh my goodness. My first four picks were this went about as perfectly as it possibly could. I had the third overall pick, third overall pick in a twelve team league. Started off with Trey Turner, went Anthony Rizzo, Aaron Judge, and Reese Hoskins, and that is just 
It's it's perfect. If I could start every draft that way, there there is no better combination of the five hitting categories that you could put together realistically with your first four picks than those four guys. What kind of batting average do you expect from Reese Hoskins? I, I actually posted something on cbsports.com slash fantasy slash baseball yesterday uh, <laughs> talking about ex- expected floors and ceilings for like thir- 12 notable sluggers. And Reese Hoskins is one of them, and he's a guy that I think just has outrageous Freddie Freeman, Joey Votto kind of upside. Just looking at the skill set that he showed Chris, last season. Chris, what kind of batting average do you expect from Reese Hoskins? Expect would be right around 280. There you go. Thank you. Uh, so you've got in that lineup with Judge, Rizzo, Hoskins, and Turner, three hitters that you expect to hit 280 or better. Or Rizzo mm-hmm. to be around there. All right. And so Rizzo and Hoskins both have 315, 320 kind of upside. Great. And, uh, okay. Scott hit your first four picks. I, I said great, so, like, mockingly, I didn't mean it that way. Scott, you had the six no, picks. Who were your first four picks? <laughs> Nolan Arenado, Chris Sale. First time I've gotten mm. one of the big four starters. Corey Seeger, and Jose Abreu. So, I think I got three 290 hitters or better. But no steals. I love, I love it. Yeah, no yeah. steals. But as we mentioned, he got Kiermaier, Chris Taylor, and who was the other guy? Will Myers and Tommy Pham yeah. was actually my fifth pick. Tommy. Another guy who I expect to help in batting average. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, it's pretty good. It's excellent. Anthony Rizzo might steal more bases than those three guys combined, but it's fine. <laughs> Anthony Rizzo? It's fine. Okay. Now, Tommy Pham is really a, a pivotal player in any type of categories or roto format. It's how much do you buy him as a player? How much do you buy the steals? Because before last year, he didn't steal at all, right? And last year, he had over 30. It's off the top of my head. Well, before last year, he didn't play all that much. I'm, but he, he, stole, he stole bases in the minors. Not 30, but... He had 25 cons- in 128 games last year. Yeah, consistently in the 20 range. I'm not sure I would expect him to steal 30 bases. Um, but... Yeah, he I, he'll be a power speed. The the power is interesting. Well, I mean, oh, one yeah, thing you have right. to like in terms of speed, athleticism for Tommy Pham, he is bumping Dexter Fowler to left field because he is that much of an athlete. Tommy Pham, that good at tracking down fly balls, so he like he can certainly run. Mm-hmm. Okay, he so he wanted to last year. So Chris addressed steals with his first pick with Trey Turner. Scott, they both addressed batting average. Scott has good batting average through his first four picks with Nolan Arenado. Uh, great batting average with Chris Sale. And then round three, Corey Seager, great batting average. Round four, Jose Abreu hits 290 to 300 every year. And then he had no steals, so he got Tommy Pham in round five and some late outfielders slash Will Myers to help with that category. I had the 12th pick, and I took Max Scherzer and Carlos Correa with my 12th and 13th picks. And then picks 36 and 37, I took – where are you, me? Where am I? Noah, Noah Syndergaard and Christian Yelich. Noah Syndergaard and Christian Yelich. I don't know why I didn't take Andrew Benintendi. I sat there, Yelich or Benintendi, Yelich or Benintendi. They're kind of the same player. I, prob- I want Yelich. Yeah, Yelich. I don't know why Benintendi's still going ahead of Yelich, and I'm not sure it makes all that much sense. I feel like Benintendi has – Ten more steals potential. What, well, what Maybe. do you like better about Yelich? Uh, I think the power is going to be better in Milwaukee. Well, and just the track record. Like you, you're the you're the the sophomore slump guy, right? But he's a he's Christian a Yelich has been doing it for five years, and he's been consistent, consistently good, uh, a five category kind of contributor. Uh, right. You know, I would imagine. I mean, it's had, still close. They're right next to each other in my ranking. Yeah, Just yeah, after yeah, yeah. after Yelich went to Milwaukee, I flipped them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, I think it's Dior's choice, right? So I took an outfielder that I think will give me some power, some speed, some of of everything, basically. Uh, and yeah. So my first four picks again. I have two starting pitchers. I think that's the big difference here. You have zero starting pitchers in your first four picks, right, Chris? Yes. And I have Scherzer and Syndergaard. And maybe they look. Let's be honest. Maybe that's why I don't have steals, because <laughs> I, I I have awesome pitching. I have Scherzer, Syndergaard, Dallas Keuchel is my number three. Looking at the way the round went, I think both of you probably should have taken Starling Marte. I, 
Was he gone which, by then? Which round? He went to Heath in round four with the eighth pick, which was after both of you picked in the fourth round. I, I thought Jose Abreu in round four, though, was such a value. Like, I couldn't pass up that value. And there we go. Here is the head-to-head categories dilemma. Can I justify taking Starling Marte over Andrew Benintendi or Christian Yelich or Jose Abreu? And I see arguments for both sides. Yes. Scott? Well, it, like, I, not, not, maybe not all of them, but like over Andrew Benintendi or Christian Yelich. Yeah, I think so. You're, you're talking about a, a legitimate 30 to 50 steal guy. Now that's a large range, but he's still 47 the last time we saw him. He was on a 40 plus pace over a full last season. season. Yeah. Uh, a, a legitimate 290 hitter, uh, you know, it's just, 15... it just depends on how much you want to build your team around steals, though. And since I don't care to, right? But this I, isn't. I think there's a lot of variability in home run potential there. I, there yeah. I think there's even some variability in batting average because he, while he has been consistently a high average guy, it's relied on very high BABIPs, and that didn't work out for him last year. Maybe as he's getting older, he's almost 30 now. Maybe he's not going to be able to make the same quality of contact he used to as a mid twenty year old. Yeah, if the floor is two seventy five in a season where, like D Gordon, he had a suspension derail his season, and we don't know how long because D Gordon got off to a miserable start in twenty sixteen, and it was because he failed the test. I mean, I don't know if it was because, but he said he knew he failed the test in spring training. The team knew he failed the test in spring training. And that was just the appeals process playing out, and it just kind of sidetracked him. So, but if if Starling Marte hits 270 again, he's like a rich man's Kevin Kiermeyer. I mean, he's probably going to steal more bases than Kevin Kiermeyer. Maybe, maybe. Oh, yeah. Well, you really mm-hmm. like Kevin Kiermeyer, but we've never actually seen him put together that. See, I don't blame you for liking him, but we've never seen him put that season together. I okay. Here's one thing that I took two players that I think. Um, are interesting in this format. If in your early picks you get some speed and you get batting average and you have Jose Abreu or Anthony Rizzi, like you feel good about it, right? Let's say you think you're getting batting average and steals from Starling Marte, who, by the way, in Roto was a top 12 outfielder each of his previous two seasons before last year when he didn't play much. Um, Jay Bruce and Evan Gaddis, I have both of them. They are, to me, batting average liabilities, but... Gaddis, I expect to hit at least 25 home runs. Jay Bruce, 32, 32 or more. And maybe 95 RBIs or something like that or more. So, I, that's kind of how, I don't know why I got such a bad grade from, <laughs> from the email projections, but I kind of tried to balance batting average with, with power. And if, if you have good batting average and you need power, put Evan Gaddis on your team, put Jay Bruce on your team in the middle rounds. I think. Again, I, I think that email, and I'm sure everybody who plays on our site gets them and has gotten frustrated with them before, it's just looking at where you drafted players relative to where projections said you would have drafted them. It's not looking at the overall composition of your team yeah, or even, uh, you know, like what our rankings say. It's, you know, it's it's a very narrow grading scale. So don't get too worked nah, up about it, Adam. But what do you think about the strategy, though, of of putting those types of mostly home run dependent sluggers on your team if you address batting average early because it's much easier yeah. to find that in well, the middle rounds my, than batting average. My priority and it shows in the four hitters I took with my first five picks. My priority in the early rounds of this and to a lesser degree roto leagues as well um is to give myself a nice safety net at batting average. Really make sure I don't stray from that in the early rounds so that I can uh so it does open up my options in later rounds. If I feel like I need more power, I can draft a Jay Bruce. Mm-hmm. In this draft, I took Will Myers, uh, who in, who's probably going to be one of my primary stolen base sources. You know, if I took if I took an expected or possible 260 hitter in the early rounds, like an uh, you know Edwin Encarnacion or even like an Aaron Judge, who I think Chris and I both worry about his batting average dropping to that point, it would have been much harder to justify. It, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been much harder to justify taking Myers. So how come you guys didn't prioritize pitching more? Because I, I have I have Scherzer, Syndergaard, Keichel, Rich Hill. I took them all pretty early. Trevor Bauer, Hon- Jacob Ferreira. Honestly, I planned to, based on the way drafting nine pitchers with my first turn, 13 picks turned out in the, the most recent head-to-head points mock we did. 
but it just seemed like it just seemed like the hitters were the better picks with every pick. And and one thing that was nice, I, I said this was the first draft where I took one of the big four super aces. One thing that's nice about doing that is it really takes the pressure off because I've had so many drafts we've done where like I draft Zach Greinke or Robbie Ray or Chris Archer as my ace, and it's like, well, that's you know, you you kind of need someone else who's ace like to safeguard against the the possibility that guy falls a little short. I don't worry about that with Chris Sale. So I think my number two pitcher, uh, who did it end up being? You have it pulled up there, Adam? Uh, my number sure. two pitcher is pretty good. It's Zach Godley, is that right? Yeah, you have Chris Sale, Zach Godley. Oh, your pitching kind of sucks, though. <laughs> Danny Duffy. Uh-huh. That's a, that's that's a tough thing to say to Scott. He gets very defensive about it. Well, I mean, it kind of sucks. It's Chris Sale, Zach okay. Godley, Danny Duffy, Chase Anderson, Mike Clevenger, and Lance Lynn. It's like, I mean, it's a lot of guys that you like, but it, everything would have to go. I don't know. I think you're, but you have Corey Knable and Ke- Craig Kimbrell. I guess I should factor that in. You have two top I five mean, closers. If they're just who they are last year, I don't think the only one of my pitchers who, you know, would have a one-two whipper higher is Duffy. Uh, well, I guess Linwood, but he's on my bench. I think so. The, and yeah, like you said, Adam, I got Kimbrell and Corey Knable to help. Uh, yeah, help that, help, that helps too. a lot. That helps the a lot. The big thing with this format is um it's so shallow especially at pitching you need 10 hitters and seven pitchers is your starting lineup right right nine hitters and seven pitchers yeah just nine hitters okay nine hitters and seven pitchers but that five starting pitchers two relievers you have to draft two relievers some people aren't going to do it until the very end of the draft there's just it's really easy to find value late in drafts i think i did a pretty good job with that, and well, in this went, format, that's the the way I want to go. We went through this last year. You can find value late in drafts, but, I mean, nothing has changed. I think it's the difference is between head-to-head points and head-to-head categories. Where head-to-head points, you want reliability, you want volume. Head-to-head categories, I think searching for upside is a more viable play mm-hmm. because – the volume just doesn't matter. That's interesting. That's I, I don't find that. I don't find that to be the case. I don't. I don't approach pitching any differently into head-to-head categories than I do in points. But I'm not saying I'm right. I just think that's an yeah. interesting take. I, mean, I, I think you should. Like this is, whenever we've talked about if it's worth drafting Kimbrel or Jansen or Chapman, I've always taken the side that no. And then I did it in the sixth round. I took Kimbrel, uh, and then doubled down by taking Corey Knebel in the ninth round. Those were the two leaders in strikeouts among relief pitchers last year. Both had 126 last year. Uh, certainly, Kimbrell, you expect an elite ERA and whip. And uh, Knebel showed that kind of potential last year as well. So, yeah, I'm, I am, those ratios are going to count for more in this format where ratio stats are rewarded than they will in head to head, where it's really just about volume and how many saves does your closer get. Adam, is my pitching lacking? Let's see. Robbie Ray, Masahiro Tanaka, Jeff Samarja, Marcus Stroman, Jamison Tyone, and I've got four pitchers on the bench who all have upside. Yes, you're pitching. Kevin Gosman, Luis Gahara, your pitching Kenta is Maeda, extremely, and It's extremely lacking. Extremely lacking. Because Why? First, well, first of all, Stroman's not really that great in this format because he's kind of a high whip, high, low strikeout guy. Um, okay. I, I do like your first two picks of Ray and Tanaka. But after mm-hmm. that, like, Samarge is a guy that's probably on the waiver wire at some point. Uh, Tyone? I, yeah, strong disagree on that one. Here, here's what you're missing and what I think a lot of people who, you know, like to react negatively to my pitching staffs on Twitter are missing. <laughs> like, yeah, Adam, your top three of Scherzer, Syndergaard, and Keichel is better than the top three either of us have. I have but look chill. at the third guy for most every other team. Like, there's just not that many... Well, pitchers who you could classify as guys who are going to really carry your rotation and you invested super super heavy in those three guys and one of them pitched 20 innings last season and the other ones missed like 18 starts over the last two years yeah granky went right before Syndergaard. i would have i think is that what happened um yes i probably would have gone went before with the humidor i probably would have gone granky over Syndergaard, but um i don't know i i don't mind look this is a shallow format they're going to be hitters there are going to be hitters out the wazoo on waivers throughout the year. I don't feel the same mm-hmm. way about pitchers. So it's just no, like— No, and I, I'm with you in a points league, but 
when you have to worry about batting average and stolen bases, there probably aren't going to be a lot of hitters who contribute big in those categories. So I think mm-hmm. it makes a big difference. That yeah, they're both head to head, yes, but categories versus points. And that's and a great point. In, in a category, in a weekly categories league, you do reach a point of diminishing returns in any given category. Like you can only win each category by so much. You don't have to beat twelve people. You have to beat one person every week. So that's something to keep in mind. Is like you might have really good starting pitchers, but if you're beating everyone by a huge margin in the starting pitching categories. That doesn't have as much uh, value I, as it does in Roto, where you're looking to be number one. I okay. I mean, look, I I get. I I think you guys are making really good points. I think a lot of people probably agree with you. I feel like we might be overthinking it a little bit, and just I still think pitching is shallow and hitting is deep. So you know, you know what I mean. Like I it just it boils down to that. My philosophy doesn't change based on the format. I do. I think I would have liked to have exchanged one of my pitchers for a steals guy. But the value just never really felt quite right. And sometimes that happens when you have the 12th pick out of 12. You know, you have to go out of your preferred ADP sort of. You know, you have to reach for guys sometimes. That's just the way it is. So anyway, I could see that. However, I still think my my approach is hitting is deep, pitching is shallow. So I, I like to take more pitchers. But uh, I, I do. you guys make good points, and it's a lot to think about. I am sorry that we didn't get to more emails, everybody. It was my goal, but... Uh, there's there's time for it later, probably next week. We've got outfield part one tomorrow, outfield part two Friday, starting pitchers parts one and two next week. Then we'll do some drafts. We'll read plenty of emails. We'll catch you up on spring training notes. We'll have some fun. We'll make some friends. We're going to end the show now. Bye. <laughs>